Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. It's a pleasure today to speak with Matthew Pegg, the Fire Chief from uh, Toronto Fire Service. Matt, uh, uh, nice. Thank you for for joining uh, joining us today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. My pleasure and privilege, Tom. It's uh, great to be with you as well. Mental wellness, mental health. It's a topic that uh, it, thankfully is front and center these days. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it always hasn't been that way. And, and that's our topic to speak about in terms of not only what Toronto does, but what the fire service does, but what we should all be be doing. Um, let, let's just uh, off the hop. I mean, Toronto, you've you've had your share of, of think bad things happen publicly, right? Yeah, we certainly have. We've come through a couple of years now with some pretty substantial and pretty tragic incidents that our that our men and women have had to deal with and respond to and the realities of a of a large city like the one I work in is there you know these things aren't all that uncommon but they're certainly not limited to the big city in any way we're going to talk about stigma we'll talk about some of those uh, buzzwords and I really don't like the term buzzwords but it's <laughs> out there more and more isn't it 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 is, and it's. I, I'm encouraged, Tom. I'm I'm happy about the fact that you know, a you and I are having this conversation about something that's very important. But you know, just in general, the fact that that this topic of conversation is becoming more mainstream, and that people are becoming more comfortable, you know, just opening up and talking about something that's important, I think is really encouraging. You know, in the old days, and we we refer to that some of us that have been in this business for a long time. To to talk about the '60s and the '70s, you know, a small town. We had the we had the town drunk. It was that person wandering the streets, and everyone would write that off. Today, that mm-hmm. same person is uh, you know is uh, dealing with mental illness and addiction issues, and uh, different things are in place. The same is with the first responders. Uh, different things are in place for us to deal with stuff. Yeah, for sure, and we we've learned a lot. And even in over the course of my career, Tom, when I started, as you you certainly know, and uh, you know many of the listeners may not know, I, I started my career in the fire service as a volunteer firefighter in a very small town. And you know that introduction into the fire service, and then you know I, I transitioned from volunteer to career in the same small service. Even and that that's only about 28 years ago. At that point in time. I don't think I ever would have sat around with my peers and crews and and openly said, you know, this that incident or that call really bothered me. Like that that just wasn't safe space, right? We were we were really expected then the cultural expectation was, you know, you got to suck it up and be tough and, you know, to admit that something was bothering you would likely have been met with, you know, either either a, an overt opinion or, you know, an opinion and voices in the shadows saying, you know, well, maybe you're not really cut out for this. The fact that that's no longer the case and we're doing a better job about being healthy and open and honest is uh, is exciting and long overdue. Going back when you say and, and you didn't, wouldn't speak up, did we know that stuff bothered us then? Is that uh, is that an example of the fact that we really didn't know about it? We certainly didn't know what we know today. I mean, I, speaking for me, I, I had no idea. I, I was fortunate um, very early in my career was uh, I started right around the the very first inception of critical incident stress teams and CISD briefings. 
So those those conversations were beginning, but I don't. I mean, we had no idea. We didn't under. I'd never heard the term post-traumatic stress or occupational stress injury or traumatic mental stress or like none of those things mattered. I mean, I think speaking for me, it was you know you knew we knew what a bad call was, but you know to be very candid, oftentimes the response to that the only the only quote unquote help that ever happened often was sitting around some a table in somebody's basement with you know a bottle of a bottle of booze and you know that was that was the way it was and i'm not sure that we knew a lot better then but we we know a lot better now i think you know i i had the conversation the other day about again the way we do things differently and in the day you know, we've say, for example, a small volunteer department has always had mutual aid with another department down the road, mm-hmm. but we never, ever used them. It was always there just in case we had the big one. Um, right. I would like to think that that the mental wellness aspect of it, we never dealt with that because we didn't have that big call, even though all the calls really were affecting us. Yeah. And, you know, Tom, when I think back, though, and and if I contrast the two for me, you know, starting in the small town and then knowing what what we deal with here, I I really think that that many, many of us and and much of our service still still underappreciates how significant the impact on first on firefighters and first responders are in, in small communities. And in my own experience, you know, I knew I knew a lot of the people that we were going to help. Right. Like these aren't mm-hmm. these aren't complete strangers I'm ne- that I've never seen before and will likely never see again. These are people I know. It's 90 you know, percent of our calls. 90 percent right. for us. And, you know, I don't think I, I would challenge anyone that suggests that that's not harder. Right. That's hard on you exactly. when you're dealing with whatever, whether it's a, you know, an automobile accident or a fire or a bad medical call or whatever the case may be. You know, it's hard enough when it's just another another human, another person that we're having to deal with. But when it's a friend or a family friend or, you know, someone that you recognize in the community, that's harder. And that's what many of our firefighters that are working in those smaller, closer knit communities deal with and and often aren't talking about or aren't being considered. I think that's the big thing too, and we should always touch on this, is that, and and every time I've heard you speak publicly and and you and I have spoken personally, it's always about inclusiveness in terms of size of department or first responders, that it's not just a metro big city thing. This happens across Canada, no matter the size of your organization. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, yes, the, you know, the, sure, in in the city of Toronto, our crews are responding to emergencies more than 300,000 times every year. And that's, that's our reality. But that's also proportionate with the number of people that that work is being distributed across. But it's not like this isn't these aren't big city issues dealing with the impact and the the occupational stress and, the, you know, potentially the post-traumatic stress impact from a critical incident, whether you're in the biggest metropolis in the country or the smallest hamlet in the country, we're still people. We still have physical and emotional health issues and we still have things that affect us. Are those incidents that we see or we attend, are they magnified when they become public media events? I think they are, Tom. I, I mean, my sense is that oftentimes, and one of the challenges that we are we're recognizing locally for us here in in my service is the media can be a fantastic tool, and it can, you know, obviously we have a very strong voice, but 
the the unintended consequence of big media presence around these incidents. And I don't think you need to look any further than the Humboldt tragedy um, mm -hmm. by case in point. Those responders and the people involved in that and the families, of course, but, you know, talking about first responders, they are reliving that incident again and again and again because exactly. it's playing in the media. The questions keep coming. The storyline is there for a long time. And there's a large public interest. So lots are really good about that. But when you're dealing with an incident that, you know, members of your team may be struggling with, I think we need to be conscious and cognizant of the fact that it's tough to move past something that's still front page news. You know, when I was in the media on a regular basis, we always were cognizant, at least I was, about the mentions of anniversaries of events and those kind of things. Because, again, you are bringing that back to the to the forefront. Yeah, for sure. And those those are very real. Right. When you're when you're someone that has been involved in a critical incident or, you know, something, some kind of traumatic event, there's almost an infinite number of triggers. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of really good education out now about understanding things like flashbacks and triggers and what some of those are. But certainly anniversaries, um, significant dates, even memorial services can be really hard on the people that were involved in those. I saw, you know, our colleague in in service in uh, in Newfoundland uh, and our co-writer with uh, with Firefighting in Canada magazine, uh, Vince McKenzie did a column, and I've seen several columns on on the memorials on sides of highways that that really do touch to uh, first responders more than people know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, imagine you. I'm sure you, I know. Tom, you and I have talked about it. We've both been there personally, and met so many people that are going to listen to this will will know this personally. When you were you know, you drive past that little innocent memorial that's done for all of the right reasons, your memories and what that triggers in you and I and the people that were there is much different than I would even argue what the intent, you know, the intended purpose of it was. We we do a lot to make people resilient to, um, you know, deal with the issues today to avoid, you know, avoid troubles tomorrow. But for those of us that have been in the service for a long time, how do we deal with the fact that tomorrow for most of us is today? <laughs> right. Um, you know, Tom, I'll tell you, I'll, I just quickly, I'll share with you kind of the, the, the journey I've been on and, you know, in my own research in this and what I've, what I've had the privilege of learning. The, I think that the, the light bulb that has gone on for me is the recognition that firefighters, it seems silly to say actually, but firefighters and first responders are people first. And what that means is you and I and everyone else bring our normal life pressures and stresses with us no different than anyone else walking down the street. So all of those life pressures, you know, money and relationship issues and paying for your mortgage. And, you know, I just had an argument with someone I care about. All of those things that happen to all of us happen to firefighters too. And then it's the critical incidents that are going on top of those demands. And that, you know, that's where I think things become increasingly difficult and it's it's only been a very you know a very short while ago where even the discussions that I was involved in we were only really looking at this from the impacts of critical stress or that traumatic mental stress or post traumatic but you know I really think that what what we need to consider is we're all people first those critical incidents are piling on top of the normal life pressures that every one of us face
Mm -hmm. It's profound in some of the work that you're doing and have been doing with uh, with someone that a lot of people would know in terms of a personality in Michael Landsberg uh, mm -hmm. from television, from uh, from the TSN back in the day of, of a program called Off the Record. Uh, I met Michael many years ago and we did an off the record type segment at a at a Canadian Fire Chiefs conference. And he uh, may a lot of people may not know he has uh, he's been dealing with this for a long time. He has. We. I'm. I'm considering myself to be very fortunate. Michael. Uh, Michael has become a very close friend of mine, and we. He's doing a lot of work uh, here with us in Toronto Fire, and has a real passion for both uh, first responders and firefighters. And uh, Michael's very open and very honest about his own journey and struggles with with depression, very very severe at times. And he is really helping me, and really helping our organization to to kind of pull the curtain back so to speak and to to expose what has what what are oftentimes some awkward conversations but to really bring all of these issues out in the out into the light and really he's been a big help in what has become very important to me which is trying to you know doing everything that we can do to make mm -hmm. the conversations not only around mental health but to use the word stigma, and I agree, to to do what we can do to both reduce and ultimately eliminate the stigma associated with getting professional help to either get healthy and stay healthy. And that's that's become a almost a niche work that he and I are working on together. And that's what, you know, most of the or a lot of the conversation that happens around our organization that Michael's involved involved in, it it focuses on those um on that 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 issue of you know what, what can we do to stay healthy and how do we how do we make that okay culturally? He's he's bringing you guys are are doing this in fact through this little discussion we're having today, uh, making this more of a national campaign. In fact, it it's been his focus, has it not? It, it is for sure. Michael has a you know he has a very very strong social media presence, and as I started to work with him on some of these things. It's. I'll admit, it's. You know, initially it was. It was uncomfortable because you know his main platform is YouTube, and has not only a national but an international following, both in the mental health community and in the the first response community and so many others. And um, I'm. I just. I'm so appreciative of of all of his help and all of his passion and and the voice that he's helping to bring to an important issue for us. Are we are we able or are you able to measure the effects that uh, a program such as this is having on on say your department? Great question. the The measurement of it is 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 admittedly difficult. So from but from a from an objective perspective, from a more subjective perspective, here I can tell you without any doubt, in the last couple of years at least, I don't know that I could give you an example of where I have been in a conversation in a fire station, generally around the kitchen table. And, you know, we all, all of us in this business know that the culture of any fire service happens around the kitchen table. Every conversation that I'm having now in a fire station, whether it's a quick station visit or a, you know, a longer evening visit or whatever, the topic of mental health is, is happening organically. And I am really proud of that. The fact that, that increasingly so, our folks are are becoming more and more and more comfortable and these discussions are are becoming more mainstream and the professionals are telling us and you know Michael Landsberg and others like him that have a lot of experience in this are saying that really is the key to success when this becomes comfortable conversation um we're on the right path our goal is to make 
you know, talking about the fact that this incident or this situation or this whatever bothers you, that ultimately needs to be no no less comfortable and no different than saying, you know, I, I have a cold and I'm not feeling real well today. Mm-hmm. At the at the training level, uh, where the newest uh, the the firefighter of tomorrow is starting today, what is 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 that being dealt with, or is it, it what part of it is mental wellness in the training of of firefighters today, where it wasn't tomorrow or yesterday rather? So there's there's a couple that I'm seeing, Tom. Um, first of all, I'm seeing a lot of really good, and I've been part of now a lot of really really good conversation at the very very front end. So you know, with recruits and with people entering the fire service for the first time, we're now being very transparent and open about the fact that occupational stress injury and traumatic mental stress are very real. And I I mean, for me, I can, you know, I'll share with you that from a personal standpoint, I meet with every recruit class that comes through organization. And my conversation includes things where I, I literally stand and explain to them that in this role, I will ask you to do things that I wish you did not have to do and see things I wish you didn't have to see. But as responders and as public safety professionals, we do, we are going to see them, do them, hear them, and and we need to do that in order to keep the public safe. But there's an impact on us. And, you know, I I think that what I'm seeing happen is we're like those conversations are coming on day one and people's viewpoint on them is very different. It's no longer in the shadows. We're talking openly. From a training perspective, um, there's some really good training happening. We we embrace uh, one of the one of the pieces or one of the programs that we're delivering in house now is the Road to Mental Readiness or our Tumar. I don't think there's any any one stop shop or you know magic solution out there, but these are programs and you know healthy minds and many like them are are aimed at and are equipping people with additional skills aimed at resilience. So really educating all of us on, you know, what are the signs and symptoms we need to recognize in us and our peers? And then what are some of the techniques we can do to manage that stress and to deal with it uh, effectively? What would you say to the uh, to the fire department that uh, may not have uh, any kind of program, any uh, any way of dealing with uh, with mental uh, mental wellness? Uh, what would you tell them, and how do you get started? You know, Tom, I think the f- the first and foremost is there's no cost to starting a conversation. Right? These are conversations that that literally can happen around a kitchen table. You don't. None of us need. You don't need formal education or, you know, degrees and certifications just to to sit as a group of friends and a group of peers and colleagues and and start the conversation around the fact that, you know what, we, we do see some terrible things. And, you know, it's okay if it's okay if that bothers you. And it's also okay if it doesn't. We're all different. We all have different triggers and different stressors and different things going on in our lives. And I mean, you know, the fact, Tom, that you and I could could attend the same critical incident this afternoon and it may really bother me and you may be absolutely fine. And both of those are equally healthy, equally normal and equally okay. So I think that all of us, it doesn't cost anything to start the conversation. The other thing that that we, you know, we just talked about some of the work that Landsberg's doing, and and I've had the privilege to be part of a lot of that with him on YouTube. That's all free access, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, you're an internet connection away from being able to access some of that. Um, And then, 
you know, increasingly so. The CAFC and the provincial fire associations are doing, uh, you know, we're doing a good job of of driving this and making some of this education available. And it, and it, you know, in it may not necessarily be be instantaneously available yet, but certainly the provincial and the national fire associations are able to steer steer us in the right direction and you know get us going. It just it takes that that willpower and that intent from the leadership teams in those services to make it a priority and then to go and begin to source it. I, I, I do credit the National and uh, Provincial Fire uh, Service Associations for bringing this forward. And I say to any uh, fire department, any firefighter uh, that is involved in Canada in what we do and what we all do together, that you need to connect with your local uh, your provincial or national association and, and step step into their world and see what they're doing because they're doing a lot of good work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The, it's it's abs- it, it's phenomenal, and like we've said, much of it, much of the base information is available for free. We just got to go get it. What's what's next down the line? I mean, obviously, we're keeping we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Is there another step that we need to get to? I well, I think we've got a long way to go. I'm I'm certainly proud of where we are, and you know, candidly, conversations like we're having right now, and just reaching into the you know the broad audience that this podcast drives and connects with that's i think that's the next step it undoubtedly our mental health pros will continue to learn and continue to research and ultimately build better tools that we can all take advantage of and i'm excited to see that but i i think tom that the next piece for the fire service is really just to keep this an active top of mind conversation and discussion and not let it fade off into the background where it's been for so long Matt, thank you very much. Matt Pegg, Fire Chief, uh, Toronto Fire Service. It's a pleasure to uh, to talk with you always. And again, uh, thanks for the work that uh, that you guys are doing in, in certainly helping all of us to uh, to pay attention to what really matters. Thank you so much, Tom. It's my pleasure, and uh, I've been uh, very much honored to uh, to join you on this. And I hope it uh, I hope it helps. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.